This is Sermonsmith, a bi-weekly conversation about the craft of sermon preparation, and my name is John Chandler. Hey, before we get into today's show, I want to make note of the fact that this is number 97, and so we are rapidly approaching Sermon Smith number 100, and I want to do a little bit of a celebration with that, and I want to include as many of your voices as are willing and able to participate as we can. So that'll be happening sometime this fall, but I want to tell you now that uh, the way I'd like to celebrate is just ask many of you who are listeners to offer feedback on what you've learned or maybe how you've changed your own sermon prep based on something you've heard from any one of our guests who have offered so much to all of us. So you can go to sermonsmith.com slash celebrate 100, celebrate 100. And there's a form there that you can fill out where you can um, you can do a write-up, an explanation of something that maybe you've changed or something you've learned from these interviews, or there's even a place to attach an audio file or send a link to an audio file out of Dropbox or something like that. If you want to record, I'm going to say up to three minutes, if you can do a recording up to three minutes just of something that you've learned from the podcast that you've incorporated and how it's been helpful for you. I just thought that would be a fun way to celebrate. You know, a lot of times a podcast, when it gets close to a a landmark like this, they might try to get a big guest or something like that. And I thought it would be fun to actually turn it back around and celebrate what so many of us have learned and let the spotlight be on all of you who have uh, listened to these conversations alongside me. So thanks so much for listening. Again, that's sermonsmith.com slash celebrate 100 and you can submit uh, ideas there. Please go ahead and do that soon because 100 is sneaking up on us really, really fast. All right. Thanks so much. Today's guest is Tim Chaddick. Tim is a church planter in London, the pastor of Reality London. Uh, For 10 years prior to moving to London, he was the church planter and pastor of Reality Los Angeles. So it's been, it's fun in this conversation to hear him talk about how much his rhythms have had to adjust and change as he went from a well-established church plant to really starting from scratch once again and what that's meant. I have a lot of affinity with Tim talking with him. As you can hear, you feel like you're his best friend by the time the conversation's over. But I also have a lot of affinity just because um, I've been in a similar season of you know, doing sermon prep alongside all of the other work of church planting and hearing how he's tried to work that in. Uh, I can relate a lot as, as well as just his desire to study and read. So enjoy this one. Of course, I enjoyed this one. I enjoy all of them. But this is Tim Jaddick of Reality One. Well, it gives me fits, but it looks like it looks like we are good to go. Great. Do you? I, um, I assume you edit out anything you need to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, like, Although, oh, that was basically terrible, so I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> it's not often. There's been a time or two somebody had to go to the bathroom in the middle. <laughs> but generally, you know, I, I like it to be just the natural conversation. But yeah, Great. certainly if we feel like, oh, man, we got to edit that out, we can do that. Or technical. I was just thinking in case anything right, right. happens. Yeah. 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 Okay. Great. Well, um, we're going to jump in. Here we go. Go for it. Yeah. So you are in, you're in London. You're sitting in the heart of London right now, I assume, or at least I know your church is in the heart of London. So tell us about Reality London. Yes. uh, Both of those statements are true. Um, Reality London is a a newer church plant. It's about a year and nine months old. And uh, my family and I moved here about two and a half years ago um, to kind of lay the the groundwork, and we currently gather on Sunday mornings uh, in the old theater of the London School of Economics, which is uh, very literally in the, the center of London. And uh, we have an office space next door, which is great. Um, so, yeah, that's the that's the basic <laughs> basic deal, and is where yeah, I yeah. currently am. <laughs> and and your church. So I've previously interviewed Dave Lomas, although it was a long time ago. Um, but your church is part of the Reality Network. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the um, the, the network is, uh, we call it the Reality Family of Churches, although that sounds you know, super idealistic and, you know, you throw the word family out there and people are like, wow, it's uh, quite a concept. But I mean, we, you know, it is a network, but we really do try to, to function as a family. So one of our uh, slogans, even though I normally don't like slogans, but um, our goal is not to plant many churches, but healthy churches. And one mm-hmm. of the practical ways that works out is um, 
we don't have any uh, ambitions to kind of, oh, we're going to plant, you know, 10 churches in the next five years or any, not that that's bad, but just for us, we felt very strongly that um, in as much as it's possible, we wanted everyone within the network to support every church plant as it happens. Um, so this is not something we want to scale. We just want to kind of take it as it goes, make sure that the right people and the right team are being sent out. And that takes a lot of time. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of our, our basic uh, kind of philosophy. And it started in the early 2000s uh, with a guy named Britt Merrick, who I'm sure uh, Dave Lomas had mentioned previously. He started Reality as uh, it began in the Santa Barbara area as a college ministry, turned into its own church plant. He and I had become mm-hmm. friends uh, way kind of in the early 2000s when I was first going into ministry. And um, when my wife and I were really praying about getting involved, we ended up being the first church plant out of Reality Carpinteria, which was Los Angeles. And that happened around 2005. And since then, there's Reality, uh, obviously LA, Reality San Francisco, Reality Stockton, Reality Ventura, Reality Santa Barbara, Reality Boston, Reality Honolulu, and Reality London oh, wow. on the other side of the world. Um, so there's and nine there churches a- currently. And is there a, like a theological stream or heritage that it's all tied to, or do you all come from different backgrounds? Um, in the beginning, there was definitely more of a um, of a, a heritage. A lot of us came out of both Calvary Chapel and Vineyard churches, okay. um, which is yeah. very you know California centric, obviously. So many of us were from, although the the last few uh, have less ties to that um, as far as the the leaders. Um, but that was kind of originally part of our heritage. So some of the theological, um, you know, kind of focuses that come with that would be, you know, uh, a healthy view, what we try to strive for, like a healthy view of, uh, the gifts of the Holy spirit and, uh, definitely emphasis on preaching in particular, um, you know, expository preaching, um, you know, those kinds of things that if, if anyone's familiar with, Coverage app or sure, yeah. you know that those two things are very um, characteristic of that. So um, even though a lot of the realities kind of change and take on their own, you know, character and shape, th- those would definitely be some fairly foundational um, influences for us. And so now in London, what has been? What's the shape of the congregation you have there? Like, what kinds of people? Uh, what kinds of people are part of your church, and and how does that affect how you prepare your sermons? Yeah, well, what's interesting to me is I've thought about this is, I mean, I was preaching in Los Angeles for 10 years and then we moved yeah. here. And, you know, so I've, I've, I developed over these years kind of a regular rhythm of preaching, which also was connected to how my staff functioned and how much time I had during the week and all those practical things. So moving to London two and a half years ago and starting over again, um, from scratch and there's been moments where my wife and i say hey why are we doing this again oh yes this is god this is <laughs> um i mean we love this city and we definitely feel called to it but it it, it did it, it's been a really interesting journey because i was in a rhythm and maybe we could even talk about um, some of those things i've i've had to adjust the how i was preaching and preparing the last five years in los angeles because we were just more stable and had a big staff and all that to how i've been doing it now for the last you know year and uh nine months um so essentially, where we're at, uh, we're a city center church, um, which for those who are familiar with any city center um, churches, there's pros and cons. Um, pros is that you can kind of get a lot of different types of people from a variety of parts within a city. Um, there are some cons in that you've really got to be deliberate and intentional about creating community uh, locally. Um, some people you know, their vision for their church is to be hyper-local in a particular neighborhood. Um, I don't think there's a silver bullet, but for for me and for us, the vision very much was city center gatherings on a Sunday morning with an emphasis on local community um, throughout the week um, across London. So that's kind of our basic philosophy. And we started the church a year and nine months ago with that in mind. And so as a result, the types of people that come, um, there would definitely be a, a mid- majority what you might expect in a city center of you know young urban professionals um of course but in addition to that there's also a lot of um you know you'll you'll have locals who are multi-generational um i mean 
any any city center, you know, you, you deal with the effects of like gentrification. And over the years, obviously, a lot, not a lot of people could afford to live centrally. But then in particular in London, you have um, the council estates and social housing, which has enabled a lot of people to actually stay in the city center. And so the the dynamic and the makeup of a city center congregation, um, at least for us, has slowly become just a little bit of a mix of that. Um, but still that kind of dominant young urban professional some students, um, uh, but also, you know, you kind of have your growing families and whatnot. Um, there'd definitely be a variety of background, like culturally, um, you know, nationally. I mean, London's very international, so we definitely have an international sure, sure. congregation, um, different life stages, you know, from marriage, single, kids or not. Um, it, it, yeah, it feels, it, it, at the moment, it definitely feels, you know, fairly um you know, diverse. Um, so it definitely feels, um, London. I mean, not quite as, as much as if you're focusing on a particular neighborhood or a borough, but, um, yeah, I think it for a city center church, it seems like it's what you would expect it um, to be some students, yeah. professionals, some families and some locals, I suppose. So talk, talk about, I'd love to hear about the difference both in what your rhythms that you talked about, but I, I'm also keen to hear the difference between even how your preaching has had to change. Um, preaching in Los Angeles, which I have you know some level of familiarity with, versus you know London, post-Christian London, which I suppose mm-hmm. Los Angeles would be as well, but not to the same degree as London. Sure. Um, so I, I'd love to hear. We can tackle them one at a time. Let's let's talk about the content first, just in terms of how have you had to adjust or have you felt like you've needed to adjust how the, the content of your sermons or how you approach your sermons because the context you're in is different there? Yeah, that is a great question. And one that I, I you know, I'll continue to wrestle through for many, many years to come. I'll start with kind of the more simple and practical and then maybe a little bit more to the philosophical one practical adjustment is I preach less uh, as far as time. So back in LA, um, you know, for better, or for worse. And, you know, there's the constant debate of how long should a sermon be? And I always reply with John Stott's famous words, the best way to shorten a sermon is to make it more interesting. <laughs> so the, the time length has definitely changed back in Los Angeles for pretty much most of my preaching ministry there. It was, anywhere from 50 minutes to an hour. And it just I don't wow. know, it just kind of happened uh, and people didn't mind and we were able to do it. Um, whereas here for a lot of different reasons, but just kind of the, the average sermon time across the board would just be a lot less here. Um, you know, anywhere from 20 minutes to 40 would be quite long. So I, I use, I've gone from preaching 50 minutes to an hour to like, around 40 minutes, which is still considered long. In fact, there's this sure. one yeah. woman in our congregation who said, yeah, here in the UK, when you start going over 40 minutes, we're like, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's also part of, too, just wanting to, our service in general was longer back in LA, but that was just part of the story of that church. And it just became the norm. Whereas um, I didn't want to come in thinking, well, that's just how it's going to be here. So our service in general is just shorter here in, in London. So that's practically, that's one difference. It's just a, a shorter um, sermon. Um, but on a more, I suppose, philosophical level, um, I'm always aware that, you know, preaching here, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not from here. I wasn't born and raised here. Um, the one thing I have noticed is that I think being in a, a city, a larger city, um, of course there are differences, but there's also, I'm surprised by how much similarity um, I've noticed between a place like LA and London. Now on the surface, the, the way in which, you know, the kind of cultural sensibilities, of course, those are different, but beneath the surface, you're really dealing with the same issues. It's, um, relational issues, identity issues, uh, career ambition. Um, you know, so in some ways I've been surprised, um, in my limited experience thus far, as to how much similarity there is. Um, most people that I'm pastoring and I talk to, like it is about those things I've, I've just mentioned. And that definitely shapes, um, I guess, the angle, if I can use that word, of, like when I'm preaching. Um, yeah. you know, most people here are 
very ambitious and they're very focused on their career. And when I'm, when I'm talking about that and finding that that's really resonating with people, it's like, oh yeah, that in some ways this is very similar to Los Angeles. Um, I, I would imagine, I would imagine London's similar to Los Angeles or New York and that you have a lot of people who come there for younger adult life to chase their dreams and get ahead in their career and then move on. Is that the, is that what you've seen there? Yeah, there's definitely, um, you know, there's always going to be in any city an element of transience um, that goes with that. But yeah, that, that's very that's a very strong narrative. Like people would move from different parts of the UK or even you know Europe for that matter um, mm-hmm. to come to London because it's the like New York in that sense of uh, if I'm going to get into finance, if I'm going to get into banking, I'm going to come here. Um, the one difference that I have noticed, even though there is generally you know transience is just a part of city life. Um, I actually, in, in my my personal experience, this may not be true across the board. I don't know what the data is on this, but um, I've I've noticed a little bit less transience in London for two reasons: those who were born and raised here, but able to stay um, because of their housing situation, and two, um, the the ability to stay longer in your career in the same city and to advance there seems to be, because it's more structured in some ways, especially if you're in finance. Um, I've never lived in New York, but I suppose London would be more similar to New York in that sense um, that you have these huh. huge institutions where people like, you know, if they're going to work for JP Morgan and they, they moved into London for that, you know, chances are they're probably going to be here for years. Whereas LA uh, the plus side is you can take a lot of risks and I'm going to work for this creative industry or I'm going to get into the entertainment industry or whatnot. But there's also a lot of uh, um, fragility that comes with that too. So anyway, that's just one kind of thing that I've noted. But beneath the surface, you really are dealing with those kind of you know ambitions. It'll be articulated differently, of course. But yeah, underneath the surface, there is a lot of uh, similarity. How are you received as the California kid coming to London? I'm curious. Do you feel like that? Do you feel like that's something you have to overcome, or does that help you? Well, one thing, one thing I've learned. I feel funny talking about this because I can almost imagine somebody else listening to this thinking he doesn't know what he's talking about. But from my own experience, <laughs> if there's one thing I've noticed that even though people have perceptions about any country, uh, if you're from outside of it, there's one trend that I have noticed is that uh, a lot of people will have their opinions about the United States in general, but by and large, people like California (laughs) (laughs) for a lot of different reasons. Like, you know, there, I think a lot of conversations I have, you know, business wise, like people, they, they love, you know, the kind of the, the story of the tech industry and how that's so connected now, like Google's, you know, um, massive building here in London, you know, there's a lot more connection to California, even through business. Also, of course, you'd throw New York in there, but um, definitely California that there's some kind of like appreciation for or connection to um, either, you know, some kind of culture and yeah, I mean, California is an amazing place, as you probably remember back when you were <laughs> born in Orange County for those three years yes, you yes. lived there, I believe. And um, four years of college. So, yeah, I still hold. Yeah, it, it's an amazing place. I still like to claim it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't, you know, I think generally, I mean, I'm surprised how just welcoming people have been. Not that I didn't think we were going to be welcome, but uh, um, I suppose when my wife and I were moving, like you move anywhere, you're always slightly apprehensive. Like, okay, how are we going to be received? We're not, we're not from here, but um, yeah, we've been, we're really grateful. Everything from the um, the people we've gotten to know through my kids' school to obviously the people within our church. Like, we have just been so um, welcomed, and uh, yeah, that's just that's huge. I mean, that that relational credibility that you gain by just kind of getting stuck in with, with people and getting to know them. Um, yeah, it just goes a long way in, especially in preaching, um, yeah. in your own church. So yeah, it's been a huge well, adjustment in so many other ways, but yeah, as far as just kind of the general preaching and leading, uh, London's very international. So I don't think it's not like if, if we moved somewhere else in, in the UK, um, I think it would be slightly more, um, mm. Oh, you know, okay. The, preachers from California. That's interesting. Whereas here, it's not quite as um, shocking. There's a lot of leaders in yeah. c- you know, central London churches who are from all kinds of different places. So, 
Yeah, that would make sense. We had an intern uh, at a church I worked at in Arizona who was from England, and he always, you know, said that when his mom talked about London, she didn't talk about London; she talked about that London because mm-hmm. <laughs> you know true. it was just so much, so much different than the rest of the country. Yes, I think for what you just named. Well, I I teed us up to talk about your rhythms, but actually, before we get to that one, um, let's let's talk about your let's talk about your sermon rhythms in terms of just your your long-term planning. You know, you already talked about coming or having some ties to that Calvary Chapel background of working through expository or exegetically, uh, but uh, how much does that still shape how you how you plan out your sermons, you know, your sermon series, how far in advance do you do them? And uh, like, I'm looking at it right now, it looks like you've been going through James or, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, through James, I see. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, I think... Uh, I'm very grateful that uh, I've inherited that kind of, you know, tradition. I I just, I generally love going through books of the Bible. Uh, however, we don't do it exclusively. Definitely love doing, um, you know, other series that would kind of address different issues and, and whatnot. But generally, I think it's just, I, I enjoy it. Um, I feel that we're going on a journey together. Uh, not that you can't through a, a different kind of a topical series, but uh, I, I enjoy that. I think it really helps with the biblical literacy um, issue that's being raised quite a bit recently. Like I, I just want people to kind of understand how the Bible hangs together and how we work through it. Um, but over the years, as I, I, I think if I, I mean, I, I can't even dare listen to my sermon. Well, I generally don't like listening to my sermons. <laughs> but, um, in fact, I remember my father-in-law told me years and years ago when I first started preaching, he's a very honest man. And he literally said to me, I can't even listen to you. <laughs> so that's very humbling. Thanks. Um, but over the years, he said, you've grown. You know, I'm like, thanks. You know, <laughs> um, But I, I think early on when I was much younger, um, it was it was hard for me to connect that kind of exegetical style to the broader issues of culture. And I think that's where I probably changed the most. It's just become easier for me to see how a text can kind of like launch into and connect to kind of these, these bigger ideas, these social issues, these deep personal issues. So, so for me, when I'm planning a series, what I'm really looking for is, is how can, um, how can like a particular book of the Bible, like really a- address all these other issues? I'm not saying the issues themselves uh, control what I choose, but I really want that to kind of highlight. So for the book of James, for example, I'm, I've just been noticing um, in, in the media here how, how graceless um, we have become in the West as a culture, everything from like the social media shaming. I yes. recently read John Ronson's um, So You've Been Publicly Shamed book. Um, and he's saying not since Victorian society has public shaming become as you know huge as it is. And and people essentially um, go through, a, you know, like this whole apolo- public apology thing, you know, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, yeah. I'm like, oh, man, what, what would it look like? F- you know, for culture to be shaped by grace. And James is showing us what this, what this looks like, what a life is transformed. So I just, I generally like it when those two things meet up. So practically how I prepare for that. Um, and one good example would probably be uh, back when I was in Los Angeles, we did a big series through the book of Ecclesiastes, um, which is one of my favorite books hmm. in the Bible. And what I generally like to do is um, if, I, if I feel compelled, like really just praying through that. I feel compelled to do a book later on in the year. I'll try to get every book that I can or essays written that just kind of uh, on two sides, one lay out the theological theme of that book so that I just understand it from a big picture level before ever getting into it in detail. And then whatever issues arise out of reading those books, um, kind of more social issues, then I'll buy a bunch of stuff on that. And I'd like to start reading that stuff months in advance. Yeah. So with the Ecclesiastes um, series that we did, uh, which I eventually turned into a, a book later on, um, I started getting these like like Peter Kreeft does this like essay on Ecclesiastes. It's phenomenal, and I started reading all this great stuff. There's a guy named um, what's his name Robert Johnston, I think, um, from Fuller, who wrote a book on Ecclesiastes and modern film. Huh. And I was like, what? That's amazing! Yeah, yeah. Like, so I'd get that book and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm making notes and I'm just, so I'll keep one big document of all the overarching themes 
that I read. And then as that arises, like, oh, this brings up the issue of success or money. So what's out there right now that, you know, kind of best articulates these issues. And that way I feel like I have breathing, like room to get the big, you know, kind of themes and topics. Um, and then I have one big document that serves as kind of a foundation document for that whole series. So I never really get into the particular texts and the, you know, each individual section, although I will try and outline it uh, months in advance. And then obviously, once the time comes to preach it, then I'll start digging in, you know, week by week. But that's generally how I like to um, approach it. I don't like to feel rushed. Um, yeah, yeah. As, as far as um, like starting a new series, I want plenty of time to just soak all that stuff up and um, yeah, and, so that's kind of a you, brief overview. Do you try to do any kind of rotation back and forth between New Testament and Old Testament, or is it really just what you're feeling the church needs and is you know you're, is catching your interest? I think the the general rules I, I would like to um, go back. So currently in, here in London, we've we've gone back and forth um, twice, which is good, I think. Um, but if I really felt compelled, like, man, we really, there's just, this, it just really feels like we need to focus on this particular issue. I will, I'll definitely, I'll definitely go for it. If we believe the spirit of God is leading, I'm, I'm going to do that. But um, I do hold as a value, like I want people to understand the Bible. So um, I do like going back and forth between old and new Testament. Yeah. All right. So you, you, you know, you've got the text chosen and you've done all sorts of initial idea gathering <laughs> it, it, yes, that's it's a good self-inspiring um yes your, your energy picked up when you talked about that uh that level <laughs> of study in the early stages where where do where does all that go like where are you storing all those ideas how do you collect them so that you can come back to them and organize them later yeah great great question i know everyone you know does this i can get uh, super nerdy i can get super nerdy yeah oh no i'm my my inner <laughs> nerd or maybe it's not an inner maybe i'm just a nerd but um it's just like freaking out right now um so when i well, there's there's the the big picture preparation for the whole series that's one document and then i have a different way that i approach the weekly sermon but for the for the overarching series it's one document um, but it's divided up into sections. Um, the sections would be, um, I try to write summaries of the books that I'm reading, mm -hmm. like in my own words. So if I'm like Ecclesiastes, for example, if I read, you know, whatever one particular book on it, um, just as I'm going through it and highlighting, and I like to write in pencil, just all these geeky, nerdy thoughts. And then once I'm finished with it, I'll kind of flip through it and say like, what stood out to me? What were the big ideas that I want to, maybe I want to quote it later, you know, in the series or like, it's going to help me shape a particular week of a sermon. Um, in a word document, I'll just have like overarching themes. And then I'll just flip through all the commentaries that I read that give the big picture overview, give my own little summary. That's one section. Um, then the next section would be how I want to break up the book. So first section is just overarching themes. The next section is like, what did I learn about the best way to kind of break up this book? Like, how long do I want to do this series? And, you know, how many, how many weeks and like, where, where's a good part to kind of like stop and or start again, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I try to get like an outline yep. for the series. Um, that's the second part. And then the third is, is the super geeky, like, um, okay, if Ecclesiastes brought up the issue of, um, you know, pleasure or, uh, you know, money, um, I'm going to then categorize it by like these kind of extra biblical, um, resources. So if section one is more of the theologians and commentators giving the overview, my section three in that master document is more about the kind of extra, I was just gonna say extracurricular, <laughs> whatever, like extra biblical, yeah. um, stuff that, you know, whatever, like, I don't know, Malcolm Gladwell wrote this cool thing on the, you know, whatever, like that, that kind of sparked while I was, uh, reading it and try to put the greatest hits into that third section. And those aren't categorized necessarily. You're just collecting them all there. Uh, they're, they're category. There's like subcategories would be as simple as like money, right? right, right <laughs> you know, right. Yeah. Just like whatever. Or, um, or I did do when I read that book on Ecclesiastes through the lens of modern film, which is a fascinating book. This isn't an official plug by the way, but it was a fascinating book. I was like, who else has done that? This is amazing. Um, I did have a whole section on like film, you know, uh, in Ecclesiastes. So I kind of, you know, made a little category for that. Um, and then one exercise that I, what's interesting is I, I had to do this back in LA because the church was larger and we had a bigger staff. 
but I'm still doing it now, even though the church is smaller because it was such a good discipline is um, I'm trying to write a two to three page overview as if it was going to get handed out to like other leaders. So I'll do a one, a one sentence summary of the series. I'll do a paragraph summary of the whole series, and then I'll include the outline. And then I'll do three paragraphs on the major themes or like, uh, what's this book about? Why does it matter? And, you know, like some other like idea, like how, how it's going to, um, how we're going to approach it or something like that. Um, do you, that's can you, uh, just been really I'll follow up with you, but can you send me a copy of that, that I can post with this interview if somebody wants to see what that looks like? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay. Um, yeah, we started having to do it like, like a lot of people, depending on the size of their staff, you know, like their communications team or like right. small group leaders, whatever, you know, they kind of want that, you know, way, way in advance. So obviously I was having to do it way back when, but it was just such a good exercise for me to do it that I'm, I'm doing it now and I'm sending it out to our community group leaders and they find it really helpful and it gets them praying, it gets them excited about like the upcoming series. And uh, yeah, whereas for years I didn't do anything like that, but now I'm just finding it so helpful. It's, it's become a discipline. Like I, even if nobody ever saw it, it's so good for me to, to do it. So yeah, I would highly recommend yeah, it. Yeah. All right. So you, th- this is now we can circle back to these. Actually, let me also comment. Cause I looked it up. That book you're talking about is called useless beauty. That's Ecclesiastes. Yes. Yeah. That's it. Um, useless. Beauty. Yeah. So now, Great. now you've got that big broad picture and you've already talked about the difference between LA and London rhythms. So maybe, ta- maybe talk about your London rhythms and then we can contrast them with what your LA rhythm was like. <laughs> Cause you've, you've had both, you know, you've had the, not necessarily lone wolf, but the guy doing most of it in the smaller environment that you're in now versus working with a team in a more established <laughs> environment. So, yeah, I mean, I guess to put it simply, you could summarize it as, you know, really structured versus unstructured. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. So right now my rhythms is because I so much care about the relational, um, you know, activity of, of the church and it's at a size, you know, we're about 175 people currently just for context. So it's, it's, it's at the size where, um, it's, it's big enough to where you have leaders, you know, that are delegated responsibilities, but it's also small enough to where like, anyone emails me, I will meet with them. Like I will absolutely try to meet with them. I'll try to meet with, make myself available for any leader, you know? So my, my schedule is generally controlled by that. So that, especially in the first nine months of, and anyone planning a church or has planted a church will know this. It's just like chaos, (laughs) you know, like the first, you know, you're just writing sermons in like a coffee shop because in two hours you got to be in this one part of the city to like meet with this person. And so you're like, loading up your bag with a couple commentaries. And, um, I started using Logos. Like I, I used to never use Logos, but I've used it a lot more in recent years because I, if I'm like on a plane or like, you yes, know, I'm on the yeah. go or like whatever, like I just need it. I just, I can't carry around that many books. Um, that's one big difference, by the way, we don't own a car in London. Oh. <laughs> Whereas, uh, in LA, everyone used to make fun of me because the trunk of my car was full of commentaries. <laughs> and I would just like pull up to a coffee shop and like, Hmm, which series do I want? You know, how about the exegetical, you know, commentary in the New Testament Zonderman? That looks good. It was like a library. Whereas now I clearly can't do that. So I always love it when somebody says forced. something new in an interview. That's definitely a new one right there. The trunk library. <laughs> you know what's sad is a lot of my books i mean this is so stupid on my part but like you know heat doesn't do well no, with like no, no. <laughs> um to, to books and in the trunk so sadly i ruined a a, a large portion of um, my library but yeah whatever um so yeah now it's uh, more and more in the last few months in particular i've um I've been able to, I, I generally always have a day for sure that I've blocked out. I, it, it is a discipline. I can't just blame it on like, Oh, the people got to meet with, you know, I've, I've since day one here in London, I've, I've, I've always had my, Fridays, my, my sermon writing day. Um, but I'm always trying to, you know, I'll get up early and just try to schedule, um, chunks of time. I, I usually can work. And I think this is true for a lot of people, like three hours, like a good three hours of focus. And then my brain just falls apart and I'm like, uh, um, I need to do something else. Um, so I, I try to block out three hour chunks. So that's my current rhythm. It's a little chaotic. Sadly, I don't really have like other set days, but back in LA, I, I definitely was a lot more structured for probably a good, like five or six 
years where um, my first day of the week, I would just read the, my day, um, my week, sorry, started on a Tuesday. And so I'd wake up, you know, do my normal kind of morning rhythm. And then I would just read the text and just kind of like sit there and kind of go, okay, um, like, what's that just bringing to mind before I have any pressure of like getting into books or like writing down my thoughts, just what's, what's the immediate kind of impressions that I'm having, you know, just whatever. I would just kind of write, write things down. Um, and then day two, I would, I'll start going, working my way through all the commentaries, you know, that I've, that I've bought. And when I keep notes and I know everybody's different on this, um, when I'm keeping notes for the week, um, I keep them in categories of, uh, introduction ideas mm -hmm. or overall theme ideas. And then my second category is, um, outlines, just outline ideas that come up. And then the third section of my notes are broken up into which commentary I'm reading and what my summary thoughts are of each one of those. So that's kind of my, um, my, my document called notes for this passage, yeah. you know, for, for the week. So I try to do, uh, try to get a couple of hours in like on a Wednesday and then Thursday, I actually start trying to actually put it, put it together. I like try and attempt to do some outlines. Um, and I'm like, Oh, that's terrible. That doesn't work. Oh, this doesn't work. These points don't work. And the goal was to get by Friday. I already knew that the way that I was going to like introduce it and um, how, how it was going to kind of move through the, to the points. And I don't know how much you want to get into that, but I, I definitely have set rhythms of how I structure sermons, but maybe that's for later, but for my weekly preparation, that's how it would generally go. So I had a lot more time back in LA than I do now, but I'm slowly trying to regain that. Well, and that's what I structure occurs. Yeah, we will definitely talk about structuring sermons here shortly. So I'm glad you teased that. But when you, it, so is that your ideal in London? Like you think it'd be best for you to get back to that more structured rhythm you had in LA? Yeah, which is interesting because I'm, I think my, you know, everyone's got their own personality. Um, I recently just read that book. Um, I can't remember the author's name, but it's called Preaching That Moves People. It's like fairly new. Um, yeah. And he, he manuscripts his sermons and you could tell from his advice and counsel that he's very, very structured, you know, on his weekly thing. I, I'd say I'm like 50, 50. Um, I definitely like some structure, but I'm, I'm also spontaneous. So if I get inspired, like, man, I will just go for it. Um, and, but you can't always, you know, kind of manufacture that inspiration. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm definitely like 50, 50, but ideally, if, if I could choose right now in London, my kind of still slightly chaotic church planning schedule, I would still have all day Friday. Um, but I think I would love to have like five hours on a Thursday and like three hours on a Wednesday. I, I like to build up towards it, you know, yeah. to where if I wake up on Friday morning, I'd like to have some clear, you know, I'm not working through like the points and how I'm going to frame it. You know, that's just a nightmare. And there's been many times when that's happened just because life is crazy and things happen, um, in the life of the congregation, you know, and I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm flexible, but ideally that that would be my rhythm. Well, that, that's what I was going to, yeah, you, you actually kind of alluded to this already, but I was curious, like as it is now, when you come to the, the table or the screen <laughs> on Friday, um, there's, so it sounds like there's some weeks where you've at least done some chunk of work, if if only because you you've got that larger document for the overall series, but it sounds like there might even be some weeks where you come to the table and that's all you've got, and you're starting with that. Yep. Yep. Oh, those. Yeah. I I don't. You know, God is gracious, um, and I, I usually feel okay. Like as most people, you know, just the average ministry, like stuff just happens. You know, and weeks never always. I just used two absolutes there. Sorry. <laughs> um, never always, um, you know, weeks, uh, weeks just don't happen as we plan them. And some stuff happens There's suffering in the congregation, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm okay with that. But yeah, I, on, on those weeks when like all of your time is just gone, I definitely don't like it on Friday. I'm just like, my prayers, like, God help me. Like, I just have no, this is like such a complicated text and I'm an idiot. And like, how is this even going to happen? And, um, yeah, I, I wonder. <laughs> I, I, but you know what? I wonder if you would be able to 
I wonder if you would be able to do that if you didn't have all the experience you had in LA before with that structure. You know what I mean? Like, because it, that yeah. helped you hit the ground running, so to speak, and you know what the process looks like. We'll talk about your structure here in a second. Like, maybe it's because yeah. you've already got a structure you're working with. That's definitely true. I, I do think, um, you know, for, I think for a lot of uh, preachers, you know, the part of the journey is finding your own voice. It's also finding your own rhythms, um, finding your own kind of, you know, rhythm study and then finding your own like patterns of like sermon outlines. And so generally I, I just, I just have a way, you know, that just kind of like works, um, for me, but, um, that I, I definitely agree if, if, uh, in fact, I reflect on my early days back in Los Angeles, um, when I was once younger and because I wasn't quite sure of my own like voice, and I wasn't, I didn't really have a regular kind of a pattern in my like sermons. It was definitely a lot harder. Um, and now it's weird because um, I'm, I'm only 39, but it's, I've been doing it at least just, I remember John Mark Comer said this, and I know you had him recently because um, we're about the same age. He made this hilarious statement. He said, we're old enough um, or we're young enough you know, still to be like a little bit idealistic, but we're old enough not to be naive. <laughs> so we still have like a little bit of idealism, but we're not quite as naive as we used to be. Um, so I definitely think a lot of that, the the experience has definitely um, helped me. And now I'm having that weird experience where I've actually taught the book of James before. Oh, I taught the book of James like, you know, 12 years ago, um, which is weird. And I look back at my own notes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> even if like learning <laughs> from ways. mistakes, I'm like, wow, I like, that wasn't even an outline. What was that? It was just a, I was like jazz. I don't know what that was. <laughs> or maybe jazz is actually too positive. <laughs> um, yeah. But to, to your point, there definitely is like a, a fruit of discipline that I, I can kind of like leverage. And I, I just kind of know, what works for me. So that definitely makes it a little bit easier. And I've just studied some of these topics before. So you're not going to a book like, wait, what is that? Like sovereignty and human responsibility, you know, like, Oh, okay. I, you know, <laughs> not that I'd figured it out, but I've just, Oh, I've like read some stuff. Oh, I can go back to that one book. And like, Oh, I remember this being really helpful on that. I'm going to go find that. And, um, whereas before years I, ago, you're like, what book is out there on this? I don't know. I, and I assume you've still got folders now full of documents from all these prior sermon series. You can always dig back through too. Yes. I, um, I started, I used to, in the first year and a half. So this is back in, um, well, actually, so I, I officially started preaching, um, around 2003, 2004. And then I, we planted the church in LA and at the end of 2005. And for, I think for a good two or three years, I used to still, do my sermons uh via pencil hmm. so organic so california um but then i i started like kind of um you know writing them on microsoft word or whatever and then ever since that point so probably from 2007 i think i have every single sermon i've ever done still saved and my notes which is nice to have so so let's talk about what those sermon documents look like let's talk about how you structure it that you've you've teased and i've teased too you know is there do you find that there's a standard structure that you put your sermons in or are there certain benchmarks that you're trying to work through or what does that look like yeah i definitely have a um i definitely have a there, there's a way that i approach every sermon um regarding the outline um that feels natural for me however um, I think one out of four, I don't stick to that. Um, yep. I think, you know, there's part of me, like my, my personality, I'm like, ah, I don't want to be in a rut. Um, but sometimes it just kind of is helpful or it's, you know, simple, but sometimes just the passage itself, it, maybe it's just the, the nature of it, or maybe it's complicated. Um, I don't know, like that definitely will affect it. But generally speaking for me, what works is I, I very much think of sermons in like an act one, act two, act three, kind of a narrative. Um, I don't really care so much that anyone remembers my points because we all, every preacher's heard those statistics, you know, like most of what you say, nobody remembers, you know, whatever, but they will remember the narrative of it. You know, they'll remember kind of the, the plot line. Um, and I'm sure people have talked about on your 
podcast. Um, was it Eugene Lowry, the, the homiletical plot? Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, like, that book has come up so many times. It's amazing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's one of those books that's, that's amazing. But if you read it for the first time, you're like cursed buy it because you're like trying to do it for like a year and you're like, ah, did I reach my like point? You know, whatever the, the analyzing the discrepancy or whatever he, how it rephrases it. Um, but I do love just the idea of like, I'm definitely like a three point guy, but I do think about it in like, you know, location, dislocation, relocation. Um, like hmm. here's, here's the, here's the theme that we're talking about. Like it's money, like money is a really big deal. And act two is like generally now here's kind of the heart of it, or here's, here's why we have a problem with it, or here's why we don't understand it. And then act three is very much like the relocation, like the resolution of that. Um, and I know I a lot that. of that actually brings up the, there's a lot of different approaches, um, even theologically to kind of, uh, I know, you know, for a lot of the Keller uh, Keller, Keller, Kellerians, Keller fans, Kellerites, Kellerites. There you go. Um, and him and like Brian Chapel and people in more of that kind of, uh, reformed camp, you know, it, it's very much, um, authors and re- original intent doctrine, um, application and Christ fulfillment. I think Brian Chapel and Keller flip those last two. Keller always ends with gospel fulfillment. Chapel does gospel fulfillment, then personal application, whatever. There, there's definitely like, a lot of people are very much uh, influenced by that. Those types of outlines have certainly shaped me um, in a large part, but just generally I kind of, I have an act one, act two, act three um, in mind. And one part of the, the act, the act one, the whole like um, kind of location, dislocation, relocation. Um, I've one thing that has very much affected my preaching is being in Hollywood and then being in a place like London um, I'm always thinking, and in part because I was this guy before I was a Christian, I'm always thinking about the person who does not give a rip. <laughs> like, mm. I, I don't know what it's like to preach in a in an area or an environment where um, everybody's already on board. You know, there's, yeah. I think, yeah. it, maybe if I was invited to come in and take over a well-established church for like 50 years, you know, like, we could probably say like most people in the room are like ready, you know, maybe they, they probably know the text better than I do, you know? Um, but I've just rarely had that, that experience. It's been very much the person with their arms folded in the back of the auditorium, you know, who like doesn't care. And so my, <laughs> I mean, part of it's my personality, but I'm like, I'm going to make you care. You know, <laughs> like I have, <laughs> so when I do preaching classes with students, um, I always say, you know, and I don't mean this like, uh, Absolutely. But I basically, I feel like I have five minutes to make you care, you know? Um, so if the passage is on circumcision, you know, <laughs> whatever, like that lucky Sunday when you invited your neighbor and you're like circumcision, you know, the, the passage is being read and in your mind, you're thinking, oh my goodness, like my neighbor thinks we are a cult, you know, or something like that. Yeah. I, in that intro, I want to be like, look, you're sitting here, you hear the word circumcision or, you know, it's on communion and it's like the blood of Jesus. And you're like, you're sitting there thinking, great. Now I know that there's two crazy people like Christians and twilight fans, you know, this is so weird. I'm like, but listen, this issue like will radically change the way that you view your life, the way that you view COD. And it it has everything to do with how you live. Just that kind of, for me, I just have a strong sense of urgency um, in that. So that very much plays a role even into how I would like write an introduction. Like I, I want to create a problem um, in, in the beginning of a sermon and then I want it to be resolved in Christ. And one thing that's actually worth mentioning too, um, the, the nature of your church service, um, I think really affects kind of like how you land your sermon. So I don't know if Dave Lomas would have mentioned this on the older podcast, with, but with Reality Churches, one of our little kind of things that we do is that most of our musical worship is done after the sermon. Hmm. So this is true for all of our churches. And during that time, there's there's prayer ministry, there's communion. Um, people can, um, you know, kind of respond however they want. They can stand, they can sit, they can kneel. But I'm always preaching in my church knowing that we're leading up to that moment. Yeah. And we do communion every Sunday. Yeah. So that very much shapes that I'm, I'm, I'm going to call people to profess faith in, in Jesus for those who are not Christians. I'm going to call people to the Lord's table. I'm going to call people to prayer. Uh, I'm going to call people to be vulnerable and open before God, knowing that we're not leaving after I say, after I close the sermon, you know, 
Um, and so that very much, I realize this when I go preach at a conference or at another church where it's just, and I'm not saying ours is better. That's just our rhythm. Yeah. yeah. Um, all kinds of different traditions, which is amazing. I just realize how I'm like, oh yes, how I land the sermon does change depending on like, um, your kind of church's rhythm. So that's, that plays a huge role. I'm always thinking as I'm writing my outline, like I'm leading to this moment where I'm, we're going to do these three things. So how, how does what I'm about to say, like lead into that? So anyway, that's kind of, I'm definitely a three point guy, but I do like to break out of that. Um, you know, probably one out of four, I like just do something so, so with, different. So with, with that location, dislocation, relocation, which, which I really like, cause it's very memorable. Is there, am I understanding or am I, I'm projecting into it here that the dislocation would be, that's where like the work with the text is like almost like location is our cultural reality. Dislocation is, this is another view of this way of looking at this reality and relocation is like, now let's imagine a way forward. Is that how that works or where, where does the text play into that? Yeah. Good question. I mean, it, it really does depend on, on the nature of the text. Yeah. Um, I generally like to, um, you know, obviously not every text is narrative in it in itself, but um, I do like the text to be in every point. Uh, I generally, just for me, I generally don't like to make a point that's not from the text. Um, and sometimes it can be almost manufactured. One thing I've, I've noticed about certain styles of preaching, and this is totally a matter of opinion, is some people in my tradition, you know, you, you, your first point needs to be made out of the first few verses, you know, <laughs> whereas other times people are just going to maybe, Oh, down in verse 18, it says this down in verse 33, we have this and they'll kind of just, you know, comb through it, you know, to kind of point. And I don't think one is um, better than the other. I think both are great as long as it's, it's clear. And as long as you're showing people where you're, where you're getting that from, but generally to answer your question, I do like point one to have something rooted in the text point two to have something rooted in the text point three to be you know from the text but the way that i would think about it is like kind of a creation fall redemption i guess um, yeah narrative and by the way the location dislocation relocation is um from brueggemann's book on uh praying the psalms oh okay he he says all the psalms those those categories location the world is great dislocation i'm dying relocation but you saved me (laughs) um he says basically all the psalms are location, dislocation, relocation songs. And I just kind of view the sermon like that. So um, I generally like that that first point, I still want to make it from the text, but I, I do want to kind of set up the theme. So if it's about, so this Sunday I'm, I'm preaching on um, James 3, the, the famous passage on, um, you know, uh, our speech and our words. And um, I have no idea where we'll end up, but as of right now, um, it would probably be something like point one is like the, the, the never underestimate the power of your words, you know, and you can get that from the text. And the second point will probably have to do with the source. Where's that coming from set on fire by hell, you know? And then like point three would be like the reformation of like, how, how do we move forward from this? We need a new source in our heart. So that, that would be an example. Like if you, if you made me do it in five minutes, that's probably where I would go. Gotcha. Um, yeah. What, what, um, what does evaluation of your sermons look like? Do you have a, do you have space to do that in your current life or did you have space to do that in LA? Yeah. Um, do you mean personal or communal evaluation or both? <laughs> Either one. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always the, there's always the spouse conversation, which is, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, I, so back in LA, one great thing, uh, that, that I really did love is, um, so in LA, we had three services. And after the first service, one of the guys on staff who actually took over for me um, back in LA, his name's Jeremy Tree. He's amazing. He's a genius. Got like his PhD from Wheaton. He's like way smarter than I am. So if, once we hired him, I was like, great. You know, now he's, you know. <laughs> I got to go to London. I got to go far away from here. <laughs> yeah, I got to get away from that. No, he's amazing. Um, so his, his last name is Treat. And every Sunday when anybody would preach, he would come back and he would he would give his like feedback, um, which was so loving and so kind. Um, but it, it became a regular rhythm and we ended up calling it the treat sheet. <laughs> so whoever was preaching, like, get ready for the treat sheet, you know, he's going to come back. And, but what was great about it is that he, he gets it. He gets the theological part. He gets the pastoral part. And it was so helpful because, um, 
well, A, I had the chance to preach. If I did, if I was getting something wrong, I had two more chances to get it right. And the first one would probably not go on the podcast. Um, but he would come back and he would say, like, I, I knew what you were trying to say. I don't know if that's the way it came across. Mm-hmm. You know, like he would just catch things like that. I'm like, oh man, that is so helpful. Like I was just in my own head and, um, or maybe it was a more theological point or like maybe, you know, like I knew where you were going, but I don't think it was really like clear, you know, from the text. So you might want to like really emphasize that. Um, so I found that helpful. And what was good is, is now I, I have that like inner Jeremy treat in my head, you know, like what was not clear in this? Um, I definitely get feedback from, you know, just our team here. Um, I get feedback when we're, what we do now is we make our community group notes around the Sunday sermon or the the text rather. So on Monday, so the day after the text was preached, um, I'm processing through as where our team is trying to write up these notes and we'll kind of reflect on like, you know, what was clear, what could be improved. Um, so there's definitely a communal aspect, Yeah. but there's one more personal part. Like, I don't know if anyone else, you know, who listens to this podcast is like it, but I, well, I'm kind of a dramatic, emotional person. Well, my wife would probably say very dramatic, emotional <laughs> person, but I'm like my own worst critic. Like I will just go, I, Sunday nights are just terrible. I'm just like, oh, I didn't say, oh, that was terrible. Or like, oh, I can't believe I said that. That wasn't clear. Like rarely does somebody point out something that I myself didn't notice in hindsight. Yeah. Um, and I just beat myself over up, uh, beat myself up over it. And then I have to, correct myself. I'm like, Oh, you know, no Lord, I need to come to you. And I need to, you know, whatever I do that spiritual thing. It's like a whole cycle. My wife just knows it. She's like, Oh, there he is. There he goes again. You know, and then I'll use Set it. your clock, set your clock yep. by your moods. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it's like 48 hours later, I'll be okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's generally how I, I get feedback both from the team and obviously from people in the congregation. Yeah. So you've mentioned a couple along the way that I've, track down here homiletical plot and preaching that moves people which is yancy errington you you didn't have the author's name on the tip of your tongue at the time but are there other it's quite new but it's it's a great yeah yeah i hadn't seen it i hadn't seen it It came out just in january here um but are there others for you that have been resources they might be preaching books they might not that are that have been helpful for forming you as a preacher yeah um, and I know we're getting into book nerd territory and everyone that listens to this podcast is uh, no doubt book nerd. Yeah. Um, gotta be. A couple early on for sure was, and in fact, it was one of the first books I ever read on preaching when I was young and I hadn't even decided that or felt the call of God to even go into, um, vocational pastoral ministry. But, um, this one guy that was kind of discipling me, this is probably like, I think it was in 1999 or the year 2000 when I was in Bible school. Um, he got me into Martin Lloyd Jones and I was in a yeah. bookshop at my Bible college and I just saw preaching and preachers and I literally just bought the book cause I thought it had a cool cover. <laughs> it was like super seventies. And I was like, by the way, I totally judge books by their cover. <laughs> Absolutely. I just see it. Like this looks great. In fact, that book was so huge for me. Uh, not only because I just loved it and, you know, anyone who reads like Lloyd-Jones, his whole thing, preaching his logic on fire. I was like, oh my gosh, that's so punk rock. I love this guy, <laughs> you know. Um, but there was one chapter in that book on Romans 10, like, how shall they hear without a preacher? And that was the verse that the Holy Spirit used to like confirm for me that I was supposed to go into ministry and I was supposed to preach. So I have very, very fond memories of that book. Um. But yeah, that was the first one I read. Then I um, read lectures to my students, which is, although not particularly focused on preaching, I really, I think from a character perspective, like the the minister and not just the ministry of the word, like, man, anyone who's read lectures to my students just, I think I wept when I read the first chapter, like the minister's self-watch. If London takes its time from Greenwich, then the congregation takes its time from you, the preacher. And I was like, ah, I'm so unholy and unworthy. Um, so I think a lot of what doesn't get talked about in books on preaching is like your own character and your own, your own heart and, you know, just all of that. So lectures to my students was, was huge. Um, but a, a third book a little bit later on that, um, is Definitely, if, if I had to list top five, and I'm sure this would be true for a lot of people, is um, uh, 
is is John Stott, like preaching between two mm, worlds. Yeah. It's just like one of my absolute favorites. And I think it's one of my favorites because it has elements of like everything there from, you know, the, the history or the biblical foundation for preaching, like a theology of preaching. And then he goes into church history and then he goes into, you know, the practice of preaching. And then he goes into like courage and humility and, you know, these kind of characteristics of the preacher. And of course the, obviously between two worlds, um, uh, you know, just being the, the the contextualization part, like long before, at least in my memory, a lot of people were were really emphasizing that. So I think between two worlds is definitely, um, yeah, I think it's a classic. Like I've I've reread it. I just I absolutely love it. That's that's um, one I haven't read. That's actually been mentioned several times. So I need to. I, I say this on almost every podcast. Somebody brings up a book, and I go, ah, I need to read that one. I I, I got to get to it, and then there's there's too many books there's too many <laughs> there's there are too many books yeah i think those were the the most formative um and then yeah the more recent ones would be like um the homiletical plot and you know mm-hmm. others that kind of really just think about sermon preparation um in a different way that but yeah there's like i don't know how many books i have on preaching but I've probably read um a decent decent amount over the years yeah so our first guest ever on this podcast was J.R. Briggs, and he's a friend of mine, and that's that's why he was the first guest. He was willing to take a chance here. But J.R. Uh, came back 70 or so conversations in because he'd read let- lectures to my students. So we more did a conversation around what Spurgeon might say if we interviewed him on Sermon Smith, just based out of all of his notes from writing lectures to my students. It was a fun one. It was a different take on what we've done. So... Yeah, that came to mind as you were talking about that. Um, so great. So, do you want to do you want to take a minute? You already alluded to one of these, but do you want to take a minute to talk about the books you've written? Um, yeah. So the 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 first book um, is called Better: How Jesus Satisfies the Search for Meaning, um, and I um, I co-wrote it with a with a guy here from. England, actually, huh. um, Craig Borlase, who's who's great. He, if anyone's familiar with um, Mike Pilavachi's books, uh, Craig helped um, helped him write those books, and I heard about him through like mutual friend. Anyway, so Better is based on um, Ecclesiastes, and in many ways, it very much was a classic. Um, like we did the series in Los Angeles, but it really resonated with people. Like there was just a very special moment in the life of our church. Um, a lot of people were coming to Christ. It was just such a like such a great experience um, for our church to like. It's so you know, just all the topics are like all the you know money and sex and power and community and loneliness and just all these like immediately you know applicable and relevant topics. So I just loved it. And when the opportunity came to write, I was like, man, I just I just want to do it on this. So in many ways, if, if if you were to read that book, it's it's very much just an exploration of uh, of Ecclesiastes, um, and I got to kind of you know do the thing that every preacher loves to do and quote all the nerds that they like. And yeah. So yeah, yeah, that was that was really fun. Um, but writing it with Craig was just a great experience because it really helped me to become like I wouldn't even say I'm a good writer, but it just helped me like write better, um, write gooder. Me. So that's the first book. Yeah, write gooder, um, <laughs> write write more good. Um, the second book was definitely different. Um, it's called The Truth About Lies, and the subtitle was The Unlikely Role of Temptation in Who You Will Become. And it's different because um, I, I wrote it on, on my own, but it was also not based on like a series. Uh-huh. It was a collection of different things I had, I had taught on. Um, there, there is one controlling narrative in there, which is the temptation of Jesus in the, in the wilderness, um, but it's there's only a couple chapters on that specifically, but the rest of it was really born out of um, just lessons in general from identity and character and a lot of things I had learned kind of just, it, it, it felt more of like a personal book um, for me. It was definitely birthed out of something that God was doing in me, something that I was, I felt very strongly about. There's a lot of books on identity um, that are incredible. And I began to to think, well, what's the next step? You know, if somebody's read a book on identity, what's the next step? Well, it's character. I don't feel like character has been talked about a lot. And uh, actually a huge, just to do another book plug, um, a huge influence on that was um, Tom Wright's book, yeah. 
which here in the UK is called Virtue Reborn, but in the States it's called After You Believe. That was hugely, I, I, I think I definitely quote him a lot in that, um, in the Truth About Lies. So it was kind of this mix of temptation and the narrative of Jesus in the wilderness with all this like character development stuff. Um, so yeah, those are the those are the two books. But I think this, the second felt more personal um, for me. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, well, it it is it's fantastic um, to talk to you just because you're you're a student of the craft and passionate about it, and I always love hearing that come through. For for somebody who wants to keep track of what you're up to, or maybe listen to some of your sermons to hear how you do the the three le- layers of location. <laughs> um, <laughs> where can people find you or the church online? Yeah, the um, so all the the teachings from Los Angeles are all. Um, on realityla.com. Um, so video and audio is all there. And then for the sermons we've been doing on London, those can be found at realitychurch.london um, there. And then uh, I have a website, timchatic.com, which just has the two two books on there and like a basic basic bio. And so, are, are you, you, you're Tim Chaddock on Twitter, if I remember right. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. For the tweeters among us. For the tweeters, yes. yes. Although I've been terrible. That's yeah. My social media engagement has been like very little in the last two years because life is crazy and church planning is crazy. So. I understand that. Well, Tim, it is. It's thank you. For, I think you're our third guest, uh, maybe fourth, who does not live in the continental North America. Um, so, so thanks for braving the scheduling. Although it really wasn't that hard. You're not that far different from Harder us. Harder for you, not for me. Yeah. Harder for you. Um, <laughs> Morning for you. But yeah, it's it's great to meet you and great to chat with you. And um, thanks for joining us. Yeah, too, man. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And again, you can always visit the website, sermonsmith.com, where you can find all of the books and other uh, notes that Tim talked about today. And again, sermonsmith.com slash celebrate 100 where you can submit um, submit some of your own experiences, some of your own learnings from listening to the podcast for however many of the previous 96 interviews that you've heard. And again, also, I'm always thankful for reviews on iTunes. If you want to support the podcast, patreon.com slash sermonsmith, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash sermonsmith. And always thank you for sharing on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and the like. Uh, It's good to have you along for the ride. Thanks so much, friends.